Miami's important week of home games is off to a very good start. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Miami Total Football Radio, a.k.a. Miami Total Football Radio. My name is Franco Penizo. I am half of your co-hosting team on this podcast, the number one podcast on Inter-Miami, providing you all the news, analysis, opinions, and updates that you want or could even need. And joining me today is Steve El Primo Brenner. Steve, how are you doing? The day after Inter Miami picked up a win in dramatic fashion yet again. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good, thank you. It was a good. Uh, I thought it was a good, decent, decent game. I always fear the worst when they kind of, you know, go go a goal down, or certainly when they went two one down. But um, no, look, you know, we constantly talked about just the DPs weighing in and just doing it, and, and it happened last night. I thought Matuidi was 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 decent. He did okay, and, and Iguain was was central. You know, um, you know, great, nice part was involved in the winner. Uh, set up Robbie Robinson nicely for the for the second goal. So that's what you want. You want your big players delivering, and and and, and they did. Well, we will touch on the DP performances, especially that of Gonzalo Iguain, but we'll also touch on Matuidi as well because I don't think I'm exactly on the same page as you there. But we'll talk about that. We will preview this weekend's game against. Toronto FC. We'll also touch on a couple of reports that have made their way out into the internet, into the World Wide Web over the past few days. One on a new designated player that may be in the team's sights for next season, and also one that touched on the overarching look at Inter Miami as a franchise and where things stand behind the scenes, not only on the field and the outlook for what's to come, but what's happened over the last few months, even dating back to before the expansion expansion season began. So there's a lot, a lot to talk about today, Steve, as there normally is, but I feel like there's even more so today, and there's a quick turnaround between games, so not a whole lot of time to waste, so let's get to it. Okay, Steve, so Inter-Miami pulls out a 3-2 victory with a last gasp goal from Rodolfo Pizarro, or maybe not last gasp, but very late, 93rd minute in stoppage time. That proves the difference. His first goal of the season. We'll touch on him as well in just a little bit, but let's go with the lineup here. Inter Miami came out with its 5-2-3 formation, as we had predicted, and it came out with Nick Marsman in goal, Lewis Morgan as the right wing back, Leandro Gonzalez Pires as the right center back, Nicolas Figal as the middle of the three center backs, Christian McCoon came back into the lineup as the left center back, Kieran Gibbs was the left wing back. In the midfield, you had Gregory, the team captain, and you had Blaise Matuidi next to him. Up top, you had Indiana Vasilov getting his first start on the right wing, Gonzalo Higuain at striker, and Robbie Robinson starting on the left side, despite Phil Neville throwing us for a loop or telling us in the pregame press conference that he didn't expect Robbie Robinson to to start because he hadn't trained all that much with the team after his recent layoff. So Inter-Miami takes the lead quickly. Just to recap the game, Inter-Miami takes the lead in the first half in the 34th minute off of a rebounded effort from Indiana Vasilev. Things are looking good from there, but the joy and the happiness only last six minutes. Inter-Miami gives up another set-piece goal, a corner kick to Francisco Calvo in the 40th minute. Things are square at halftime. Now, Inter-Miami comes out of the second half and gives up a goal right away off of an error from Blaise Matuidi, a bad turnover in the defensive part of the field, and it leads to a goal that puts the Chicago Fire up 
two to one. But Inter Miami finds an equalizer in the 62nd minute from Robbie Robinson off of a pass from Gonzalo Higuain, which you had mentioned before. And then the winner from Rodolfo Pizarro in stoppage time to send Drive Pink Stadium into a frenzy. Scenes of ecstasy and elation. It was just pure bliss for those final few minutes for Inter Miami and its fan base in the midweek match. Steve, what was your biggest takeaway from this game? I know you touched on the DPs, but is there is there something else that, that stood out to you in this game particularly? I thought um, I, I thought Matuidi did okay. I thought Gregore was 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 good. I thought they defended better. Um, yeah, just I think yeah they've been showing a bit of resilience, haven't they, in the past past few weeks? You know, they've been behind in games, uh, managed to sort of sneak ahead, had to draw in Orlando. Um, so yeah, just a kind of I think under your your mate, Diego Alonso, maybe they would have crumbled a bit more. And they have been crumbling, you know, earlier in the season. But maybe there's a little bit of resilience, uh, you know, has been instilled maybe over the last sort of five, five, yeah, five games. It's been it's been a pretty decent run, all things considered. There's still a lot of work to do. The gap is still there uh, between them and, and, you know, the playoff zone. But, you know, uh, things are things are, are, are looking up. He needs a performance out of Carranza, I think, you know, off, off the bench. Didn't that much did he really last night I don't think you correct me if I'm wrong but um uh yeah he could just do with him also stepping up considering he also he's also one of the, the better paid players um but on the whole I thought it was uh no good 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 night and then sets him up nicely now for for Saturday night which you know if, and if they can get the win there then that that's a, that's a good week's work when he came on I said It'd be a good time for Julian Carranza to get his first goal of the season. And then, no, I thought that. And, yeah. then, and then obviously it's Rodolfo Pizarro who gets the first goal of the season, or his first goal of the season, rather. And it now, was a great goal. It, it was, was a great, it was a great goal. finish. Great finish. It, great finish. Good work. Yeah, good, great, great tee up by Eloa, and yeah, just great. Yeah, a great finish. But that—that's what he's paid to do. That's what he's paid to do. And as you can see that's what he's capable of doing as well. It's just he doesn't do it. You know, on a, on a regular basis, and they still want to. He's, he's still up for sale. They're still going to potentially get rid of him. We'll touch on this later, maybe. But um, that that's what he's capable of. It was a great goal. Well, I got a few comments on Twitter saying, you know, make, making just tongue in cheek remarks towards you about Pizarro because anyone who's listened to the show for any prolonged period of time knows that El Primo is not Pizarro's biggest biggest. Fan, so I, I was I was delighted. I was absolutely <laughs> yeah, delighted. You, you, text, you text me immediately when the goal happened and said, "I've always rated him." That's what he's capable of doing. So, so he had to try and do it more often. But that was a brilliant, brilliant goal. One of one of the one of the best goals I think in in franchise short franchise history. Well, look, just before we jump into Pizarro a little bit more, I didn't get to give my biggest takeaway. My biggest takeaway was the attack and the formation that Phil Neville and the lineup, excuse me, that Phil Neville used which we'll touch on a little bit later on in more detail i think that lineup could be inter miami's go-to lineup for much of the rest of the season and, and with the personnel that was available but let's touch on pizarro because he was the man of the hour he was the the biggest talking point took the spotlight grabbed the headlines after this one let's listen to this quote from phil neville on pizarro and the performance he put forth before we jump into his performance in detail and, and Rodolfo won us the game, and and what what we said in the in the, in the dressing room after the game is that it, that boy suffered more than probably any other player in this football club in terms of not scoring, not assisting, probably not being totally one hundred percent happy with his form or his fitness or myself or whatever. 
but the team believe in him and I believe in him. I've never wavered on my belief for that boy and uh, his finish was world-class. His finish is what we see probably for Mexico, that kind of confidence and strut. And uh, I think if I could have picked anyone to score tonight, it would have been Rodolfo with the fact that uh, he's, been through, he's been through the mill. Steve, Phil Neville touched on a bunch of different aspects there in that one quote. You know, I don't know how you pr approach press conferences, but press conferences always leave you little nuggets here and there. At least that, that's, that's how I view them. Obviously, you try to listen to them as a whole and try to get information, but a lot of it can be cliche. A lot of it can be standard answers, although Phil Neville's pretty good at, at giving insightful responses. But this one, I think, is pretty insightful because he, you know, he even acknowledges at one point, maybe he's not even happy with me because Phil Neville has dropped him from the lineup at times, has, has brought him in and out. And that's something Pizarro also touched on. Now, we won't share his his quote, post-game quote, because it's in Spanish, and I know some listeners won't be able to understand. But, but Rodolfo, what he said, and I'll read it to you because I wrote an article and I translated it to English. He says, when I, I asked him, you know, what are some of the personal problems he's been dealing with? Because he's mentioned on a couple of occasions now that he's been dealing with personal problems that have not allowed him to play to his best. So I asked him, and I said, look, I understand if you don't want to share, but... What are some of these personal problems that you've encountered? And this was his quote. I think any person has problems. I think any person suffers from a loss, loss in confidence. Not having my family and friends nearby affected me a lot. Like I said, in terms of my confidence, I did not believe in myself 100%. I did not feel important. I think that is one of the things. I think a player works through confidence. If he feels important, he performs better. I think that's basically what I was feeling, but I have flipped the switch and I'm focused and know who I am. I have had three weeks now in which I've changed and I'm another player once again. End quote. That was one of many quotes that he touched on, but I think that was the most insightful with regards to his situation and his confidence and his recent lack of confidence, which, sure, his form has played a part in that, absolutely, but the way Phil Neville has also managed him probably has played a part, and I think Phil Neville, you know, subtly acknowledged that or made reference to it in the quote we just heard from the head coach. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he has had a hard time, clearly. I mean, the club have had a hard time ever since he's he's been there straight right from the start, hasn't he? So he went through that whole thing of signing, then it was the COVID situation, then Diego Alonso that first season was, was terrible for the most part. And then, you know, he struggled to impress the new coaching staff. He hasn't really won them over. He's still up for sale. I still think they will move him on. Um, regardless of whatever happens now, unless he goes on completely on fire and scores a million goals, I think he's still certainly one asset they, they want to try and get rid of to get other people in. Um, but yeah, we touched on this, I think, with Pellegrini last week. You know, he's uh, they, they're human beings. Uh, it's been a difficult time for everyone and it's affected people in different ways. And it's clearly affected him in, in, in a negative way for whatever reason. Um, and so it's good to see that like we said, it doesn't never looks like he smiles. It never looks like he's he's happy. He's enjoying it. <laughs> well, so it was nice to see him smile and enjoy that moment. Because then it just sometimes it's, it's all about confidence. It's a cliche, but and I, I I do talk in cliches. Um, it's you all about you do, yes, you do, yes, you do. I do. Um, <laughs> uh, well, funny enough that you mentioned that about his smile, because not only did he celebrate his goal last night with his traditional you know trademark Joker smile, which by the way was his first goal since. November, excuse me, October of 2020, so almost a year since he had found the back of the net for a club or a country, but he also smiled in the post-game press conference when I asked him that question that led to the response that I just quoted, because it was my third question in the press conference, 
And Pizarro, who's known to be a bit of a jokester, likes to likes to play around, mess around. He looked at the spokesperson, the the PR head, and said in Spanish, "How many questions is Franco gonna get?" And he smiled and had a had a good laugh. I had yeah. a, I've had a few comments uh, on Twitter and on, on on different social media about about that moment. But it showed Pizarro more in his element. It showed the Pizarro that we saw during the first half of the 2020 season when look you can draw the whoever's listening can draw the lines the parallel lines or whatever they they want to make of it but Pizarro during that first half of 2020 I'm not going to say he was the best player in MLS but he performed fairly decently at a pretty decent level he was scoring goals making assists and I think it was because he felt important because he Diego Alonso he had played for Diego Alonso two previous clubs Diego Alonso wanted him on this team Diego Alonso I think it was his first signing that he that he made or that he asked to make he asked the club to make and Rodolfo Pizarro felt important and he was the face of the franchise at that at that time then Gonzalo Higuaín comes in during the the second half of this season and things change with that regard and then this year things just haven't gotten much better for him things didn't start well over the course of the MLS campaign and he also suffered from injuries and maybe wasn't at his fittest throughout the course of the season so I think that 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 is a very overlooked part we had touched on in recent weeks that he did not look happy we, we said that in recent pods that his body language didn't read of a of a player who was playing with confidence and playing with joy just seems someone who kind of be going through the motions but but last night you saw a glimpse, a glimpse of that old Rodolfo Pizarro, the Rodolfo Pizarro that was with Inter Miami at the start of 2020. So for Inter Miami, trying to tap into that, trying to get more out of that, Pizarro is, is going to be key. I agree with you. I don't know his long-term fit here. I don't know if he's exactly what they want or what they need. Even last night's game, even though, he, again, he was the man of the hour and he, he scored us a game-winning goal, he's still... I think he brought good ideas. I think you know, not, don't don't take away from his performance. But but if you look at it from a, just a statistical standpoint, he had fifty three point three percent passing accuracy. So he just connected on just over half of his of his passes in the game, which is not not a great number. So I don't know if again he's the perfect fit. But last night he he worked his his magic and he got the goal that he's been looking for and that Inter Miami has been looking for. If there's more. Of that to come from him, I'm sure everyone will welcome that with open, open arms. But let's switch gears and talk about Gonzalo Higuain because he was named today, Thursday, when we're recording this pod, as a player on the MLS team of the week, which I think is deserved. I think it's deserved because for me, he was up there as one of the top three players for Inter Miami yesterday, and. I would say he was the best player for Inter Miami yesterday. Now, he doesn't get on the score sheet, and he doesn't maybe pop out at you on the box score, but he has a hand in all three of Inter Miami's goals. He has the the initial ball out to Robbie Robinson on the on the opener that Robbie Robinson shoots on goal. It's saved, and Indiana Vasilev taps home on the rebound. Then he has the great quality cutback pass to Robbie Robinson in the second half. For the equalizer, and then he plays the ball to Victor Ulloa that finds Rodolfo Pizarro in the 93rd minute for the winner. So in MLS, actually, because I've, I've had a few people be confused about this, MLS does count secondary assists as assists, hockey style, NHL style. So that, that last goal from Pizarro, uh, Iguain got an assist 
for that because he had the secondary assist on no, it. No, so. that doesn't count. No way. That's how they. I'm, t- I'm telling you. That's but how they, is MLS. It called, like, is it is it called an SA or is it actually an assist? They just call it an assist. That is wrong. It's disgusting. Well, I mean, I agree with you. I'm not a fan of MLS's ruling and and their decision making to do that. I think they do it. Listen, that, yeah. I, th- I think they do it for an American perspective, which is you know Americans like stats by yeah, and large, generally they're... speaking. So they you know they try to boost stats by having secondary assists because now you know you can have better numbers if you have more assists being tallied up. And yeah, but it, you're telling me that it goes into a, it goes into the assist tally, not into a, like a secondary assist tally. No, it just goes into a, the assist tally. I don't. That's 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 wrong, isn't it? I'm going to complain. Add it to your to your email list of things you want to complain to Don Garber about, including the, the length of the Matuidi gate investigation, yes. the, the MLS scheduling because Inter Miami yeah. plays Orlando again next Friday. Just keep keep adding it to your list, my friend. Hi Don, yeah, hi Don. I know you're busy, but can I just talk about the secondary assist situation? <laughs> um, Don, hey, I, hello, I hello, you. Don. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with you 100, percent I agree with you 100, percent I don't I don't think secondary assist should be tallied as such uh, as an assist, but. I mean, it is what it is. It is what it is. There's there's bigger things to talk about, at least right now. There's worse things going on in the world, yeah. yeah. So let's let's quickly listen to this quote from Phil Neville on Iguain's performance and why we saw maybe such a inspired Iguain in this one. I think what what people don't understand probably outside, probably sport or football in particular, is is that these people are human beings. And Gonzalo's gone eight months without seeing his little baby. He's gone eight months without seeing his girlfriend, the love, of the, the love of his life. And today, yesterday, they arrived in the country and he saw his little baby for the first time. Now, I, I, I don't care how hard you are, how soft you are, that would give you a lift in life or that would affect you if they're not involved in your everyday life. He said to me before the game that even just, even just having a room in his house that was full of toys, that was messy, that was mucky, was something that inspired him, that made him so proud. I thought it was sensational. I've got to say, I thought he put in a team performance tonight that probably we've not seen in the past from him. That's beautiful. Steve, what do you make of that quote? What do you make of, of that fact that Iguain, his family arrives a day later or a couple days later, he's on the field and delivering a performance that, again, look, from on, on, on the face of it, on surface level, it might be something that people overlook, that they see his misses because his finishing wasn't great in this one. He had six shots. None of them were put on target. A couple of looks that he should have put on frame. His finishing wasn't great, but but again, has a hand in all three goals and did a lot of other less glamorous things from the run of play, passing the ball well and, and looking for teammates, creating as much as he was getting on the end of things. So I thought he was pretty, pretty good. Does look a little bit leaner, a little bit fitter as well. He's moving a little bit more and more mobile out there. So um, I think that's also coming to play. But what do you just think about the, the quote from Phil Level and just Gonzalo Higuain's overall state right now? Yeah, I mean, look, listen, that that is an insight that we didn't. I I personally had no no idea about that. You know, when we were talking about his, you know, the problems, obviously the sad passing of his mother, and you know how he he put on a bit of weight and he, you know, blah blah, shouting at everyone all the time. We didn't know that about his his family situation. That's great. I can totally understand that as a as a dad, um, that you would be inspired by 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 your kids. And I'm you know I'm also told that Phil Neville has very actually been impressed recently by how well Iguain has sort of buckled down in terms of his fitness. He definitely thinks he's looking much leaner. You can see that, I think, even when we were perched up in the, in the press box, you can see that he just looks, he looks fitter, he looks better for it. And, um, you know, you're starting to see the per, see the performances. Last night was the kind of performance that you need 
from your, your main guy. If they, if they, you know, he dragged them. He it wasn't just him, but he helped drag the team, you know, over over the finish line, uh, so to speak. So um, yeah, I mean, and, and again, going back to what we said about you know Pizarro or, or Pellegrini as well, they are human beings, and sometimes it's just those little things. The home life, having the home life sorted out, sounds like Pizarro has also been missing his family. Um, so let's uh, let's see how it goes on from here. But it's good that he needs Iguain. He's he's the main guy, like it or not. He's he's the he's the top man. He's a top earner, and he needs to produce. And the last few weeks, he has been. He has been doing that. He now has eight goals and four assists. Albeit there's a secondary, at least one secondary assist in there. But he has eight goals and four assists in 17 games this season by MLS standards or MLS statistics. He's played a direct part in two-thirds of the goals Inter Miami has this year. 12 of the 18. That's a pretty good haul, and there might be more to come judging on what Phil Phil Neville said. And look, I agree with you that the players are human beings and that they they do deal with things off the field. That, that's normally one of the first things I, I ask a player when they first sign or when they first transfer, especially abroad, is you know how are things going off the field? Because you have to be settled off the field normally to really be able to focus and feel settled and comfortable on the field. Because if, if your mind's on where am I going to live or how am I going to get my family here, then that takes away from how much focus and concentration you can put into the day to day, especially in a sport like soccer where you know the mental aspect, the psychological aspect is is so, so important. So It's a, it's a second question. Do you want me to show you some bars in Florida? <laughs> uh, well, you know, that's, yeah, that, that might happen after the mics are off. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but but look, that has to be taken into account. But but from a fan standpoint, from a fan standpoint, right? You you go to the stadium, you pay your ticket, you just want to see the players perform. You want to see them score or do what they need to do in their respective position and give you wins. You don't know about their day to day, right? Unless they tell you or they tell us on the media side in the in press conferences if they feel like opening up or, or feel like sharing it. Otherwise, they don't know about this. So. I understand fans also being demanding better performances and better results because that's what they're that's what fans are there for. They're fa- there to watch a game, watch a team perform, excite, and win. So I see both sides of the coin. And Gonzalo Higuain, as of late, has been performing. But again, you have to take into consideration it's because now he's not only gotten fitter, but his family is around now, and that's definitely making him feel more and more comfortable. Steve, let's touch on one more final thing from this game. Well, actually, there's two more things I want to touch on, but one that we should go in detail about, and that's the attack-minded lineup, or the more attack-minded lineup that Phil Neville trotted out, because he dropped Lewis Morgan into the right wing back spot and put Indiana Vasilev on the right wing. That helped Inter Miami in terms of having a little bit more speed, a little more athleticism on the field, and it gave them a little bit more of an attacking-minded mentality. Now, I think this is going to be the go-to lineup when everybody's healthy and available. I think this is the this is Inter Miami's best group in this setup with 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 this personnel. I don't think there's anybody on the bench that's probably better than anyone in the group, or at least that fits the the system better. Um, you know, there's Pizarro, there's Federico Higuain, there's Victor Ulloa. Maybe him for, for Blaise Matuidi, maybe. But I think this is this is going to be Phil Neville's preferred lineup for much of the rest of the way if everyone's healthy. What do you think? Is there is there any changes you would make? Or 
or do you see Phil Neville making any changes? What, what are your thoughts on on this on this group? I mean, yeah, they were actually. I mean, I wasn't at the game last night, but I was watching on TV. But they did make the comment that you know maybe Lewis Morgan wasted, but I don't know if that's a great position for him. Do you, do you think that he he did well in in that position, or or? I mean, I mean, he played he played a delightful ball, and I, I've used that word multiple times to describe. It. He played a delightful ball to Gonzalo Higuain in the sequence that leads to the to the opener to the first goal for Inter Miami. It was a great ball from deep. Um, now, does that play to his strengths? No, I don't. I mean, I don't think it's a position that that capitalizes on on his strengths. But where this team is and what it needs, I think him being the right wing back and Indiana Vasilev being at, at the right wing, I think that's just the best team you can create out of the roster you have. I think, yeah. And I think that's what Phil Neville, again, it's just my, my thoughts, I think Phil Neville is going to stick with this this group when he when everyone's available. Maybe he makes a change here or there depending on you know form, but I think by and large this is more or less the best team you, you can have out there with with the pieces you have. He's got the ability to to, to to be in that role. He can, he can get forward. He's energetic, so he can get back. I mean, defending, I guess, is not is, is certainly not his strong point. Um, so he'd have to work on that. But I, I quite like that sort of those two are on the on the right wing. I guess they could interchange. Vasilev seems like he's much more of an attacking minded kind of player. But they will interchange, I guess. If Lewis Morgan goes forward, then Vasilev would 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 drop in anyway. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, it, it kind of worked, didn't it? It's it's something something different, um, or something they haven't, we haven't we haven't seen that before. So um, he's tried it once; they won a game. So uh, let's see let's see what happens moving forward. Now, if you look if you quickly if you look at the posture of, of this team when they're playing in this in this five two three, obviously when when they're in a defensive posture and the other team has the ball and is building out. Inter Miami drops into the into the back line of five. Now, at times, depending on where the ball is and, and the circumstance in the game, you see the back five actually become a back four, and Lewis Morgan's a bit more advanced up the field. So since he's more attack-minded, he's not a natural fullback, since he's more attack-minded, they give him a little bit more freedom to get forward, whereas Kieran Gibbs has to, has to have more defensive responsibilities and, and drops in line with the rest of the defenders. But Lewis Morgan pu- pushes up a little bit higher, um, and I think that helps Inter Miami because the five, the five at the back, we, we've talked about this for weeks now, it has solidified Inter Miami defensively. But we've talked about how in doing so, it's cost them some numbers in the attack. They don't create a whole bunch of numerical advantages. As they say in Spanish, superioridad numérica. You, you know, that's one of the big aspects of, of soccer, one of the biggest concepts. You try to get into numerical advantages because that helps you find space and, and create opportunities. And Inter Miami was not able to do that with this defensive posture. But now with Lewis Morgan in there as a wingback, it gives this team, which is limited, right? It is limited in terms of how it can how it can play. It gives them the opportunity now to to be a little bit more attack minded while also keeping that solidity at the back. We said that I think on this week's pod earlier pod, balance is key. I think Inter Miami is starting to find a better balance, and I think again this will be the team. The team that Phil Neville sticks with much of the rest of the way. Quickly, Steve, I just wanted to, to touch on one more thing, and that's this is something that Inter Miami has not done well, and that is set pieces, defending set pieces. I've already made my thoughts clear on what I think about the attacking set pieces for Inter Miami. They're not good at them. Showed a little bit more creativity in this one, and were a little bit more dangerous, but still not able to find the back of the net. But defending set pieces, they have now given up goals off of dead ball situations in three out of the last four games. That was against... The Chicago Fire against Orlando City 
and against Nashville SC. The only team that didn't score on them off of set pieces in that stretch was New York City FC. That has to be corrected because you can't you can't be giving up goals off set pieces when you're playing so well from the run of play. It can happen every now and then, but three out of the last four games, that's a trend that's not not developing well for Inter Miami. No, no, they're not they're not an overly big team at the back, are they? Really, I guess you know Gonzalez Perez is not that sort of tall, sort of dominant player. Maybe that's where they're they're not really that big a side, are they? When when you when you kind of think of it, they're not. In in the air, you probably can understand why they probably are getting they're not as dominant as, as they as they should be. So um, yeah, it's a problem they kind of need to need need to look at. I think I think Lloyd Hilbron, one of our regular listeners and one of our regular frequent question askers in our Q and A session, he he tweeted at me last night and said, "Can you ask to interview the set piece coach? Because what the heck is going on out there?" Um, but look, yeah, no, look, they have to correct the defensive side. I, th- I actually think Leandro Gonzalez Pires is the one that's actually, because of how aggressive he is, and he does have some size, I think he is the one that normally does well with his marks and actually gets on the end of things somewhat regularly in the attack. I think it's the other players who maybe aren't aggressive enough or aren't big enough or don't have the timing down pat to, to, to do well enough. Because um, the goal, I think, is, you know, Inter Miami actually on set pieces, I don't know if... if People listening have paid attention to this or noticed this detail. I'm sure plenty have, but Inter Miami opts for zonal marking. They don't do man-to-man marking on set pieces. They do zonal marking across the six-yard box and have players just stand in different positions. And it's it's there's been cracks found in the defense as of late there. And in this one, I think it was a combination of, of Gonzalo Wayne misses the clearance at the front post, but I don't put it so much on him. I put it more on Kieran Gibbs and Nicolas Figal, neither of which get to the ball, Francisco Calvo gets in between them and, and, and finds the, a way to put the ball into the back of the net. Nick Marsman probably also should have done better there. But Steve, we've talked a lot about this game. Let's leave it there. We still have quite a bit to talk about with regards to this weekend's game and the two stories that have come out in recent days. So let's take a quick break and we'll get into all of that after this. Cualquier, cualquier persona tiene problemas, cualquier persona eh, sufre ahí desconfianza, el digo me afectó mucho que no tenía a mi familia a mis amigos cerca eh, no no digo la confianza a lo mejor a veces no no confiar en mí al 100 eh, no me sentía importante eh, creo que esos son 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 una de las cosas eh, creo que el jugador funciona con como decía con confianza si se siente importante rinde más Okay, Primo, before we jump into this weekend's match, quickly, let's touch on these two reports, starting with one that came out today, and I only caught a glimpse of it because the day after games, man, for me, are super, super busy. Like, I, I barely even, like, look at social media. I'm so, like, focused and honed in on everything I have to do between trying to record the podcast, if there's a podcast to create... Uh, or, you know, doing a couple of stories and putting up the YouTube video. There's just a lot going on. So hard for me to, to keep tabs of the news developing the day after. Normally there's not much news going on. It's just post-game stuff happening. But there was news today that you have reported. And it's on a player that Inter Miami might be setting its sights on. His name is Evander, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, Brazilian playmaker. What can you tell us about the latest on Inter Miami's reported pursuit of him? 
Yeah, um, they're interested in Avanda, a Brazilian playmaker. He's currently playing in Denmark for FC Mitterland. He played uh, in Champions League the other week against Celtic. Um, would would be a DP. So, you know, they, they'd have to get rid of... I was told they would get rid of Pizarro or Matuidi, either one of those two. Uh, they'll pay around sort of $7, seven million. Um, and it'd be interesting to see what happens. Newcastle and United in the Premier League uh, also want him, but I'm told that the player would prefer uh, to move to South Florida, which is encouraging. Um, I've never seen him play. I've never heard of him. Um, so I'm not entirely sure how good he is. I will certainly swat up and, and have a look. But um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're making they're making moves and apparently the player is, is, the player is very keen. So um, the idea is to potentially get him at the end of this season uh, when the transfer window opens in Europe in January and um, they would then he'd be ready for March that's the plan but you know there's a lot of moving parts they've got to Miami into Miami have got to get rid of rid of one or two players first so there's a bit of work to do but yeah interesting and he he, from all accounts he sounds like a decent player so if obviously the ideal situation would be to sell one of Pizarro or Matuidi but given Matuidi's age I don't think anyone's coming to buy him Pizarro could be a sellable asset if someone in Mexico comes looking for him or if he picks up his form from here to the end of the season and you know and draws the interest of somebody or reignites the flame that somebody had for him but if if they're not if they're not sold what is Inter Miami looking to do are they looking to buy out one of the one of those one of those DP contracts for next year as they did this year with Matias Pellegrini because remember you can buy out one contract per season Per season, so that's Inter Miami bought this year's, or excuse me, used this year's option on Pellegrini. They would have one again next year. So in theory, they could use it on one of those players. Is that what Inter Miami would consider doing if if they can't find someone to to come in get one of these players? Because if they don't free up those DP spots, they can't sign Evander. Exactly. No, no. I'm, I'm told. I'm told 100 that they would want to sell. I don't think they're going to buy their contract. They're probably not in a, a financial position where that would would be viable. I guess considering the. The amount of money that was, um, you know, docked following the Tweedy Gate. So um, hey, I don't no, have Jorge Mas's finances in front of me, but I, I could imagine he could he could do it if he really wanted to. Well, yeah, but it's 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 but it's the club finances, isn't it? As well, you know, it's not just about his his wealth, is it? I think they've got to try and fall into line with whatever financial stipulations. Well, there's uh, no on stipulations the... on DPs. DPs, you can just spend whatever you want. True, true. No, no, no. But I was just saying, just uh, in the general picture. I think just you know t- taking a what a two how much would his contract be worth? So what are we talking here? A, a million, two million dollar hit or something like that? For who? For Pizarro? Yeah. Uh, I mean to buy to buy out his contract. How much? How much would that be? I mean they'd have to pay out whatever whatever he's left on his on his current deal, which sure. I don't know how much that is, but I mean they would have to pay that. So um, I mean yeah, so, um, it, it, I, so it depends how much that is, but no, I, I'm told that they they. They they want to, they their first option is to try and is to try and sell and, and get them and get some money back. So uh, you know, like I say, they've already lost a fair bit of money. So uh, they try and trying to balance the books. And then we've you know we've already reported that someone like Gonzalez Perez is another guy who they you know they want to try and get you know get 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 shot off really. I think once this season season ends. So uh, Carranza is another one who's a, who's a high earner. Um, so those are the guys I think if they get them off the books, then they can try and um, bring in some some fresh faces, which would be great. Well, if they don't, that's why I'm saying. If they don't, then they well, they, have, yeah. they have to consider buying them out. Otherwise, you're going to be going into 22, 2022 with the same designated players. 
unless yeah, you're, unless you're that confident that you think you can sell one of them or get rid of some, one of them uh, in some way, shape, or form, whether that's coming to terms to mutually agree to part ways or something of the like, uh, unless you're that confident something like that will happen, then... Yeah, I mean, you know, look at... Like buying say, has Matuidi, to be an option that's on the table. There's no value. There's no value in Matuidi unless he goes to Qatar or, he, you know, I mean, it's the Chinese bubble's kind of burst now, but you can see him potentially going to somewhere like you know, Qatar or, you know, and, and earning a, lo- a load of money playing alongside, you know, Xavi, the former Barcelona midfielder. He hasn't got any value. I still think Pizarro's got some value. You know, you could of see course. him going to Tigres for $2 million or, or, or whatever. And that's, that, that should, that should be able to happen. Remember, we're also going to be in a, in a World Cup year uh, next year. Um, so he'll be, Pizarro will be desperate, desperate to be in the, be in the World Cup. And it's actually in Qatar as well. So maybe he, he can go in between. They can both go to Qatar Stay there, live there, I won't have to travel back, and then be the fellow for the World Cup. <laughs> what a what a scenario you just painted, my friend. Let's yeah. let's switch gears to the other. Actually, before we do that, um, just just to give people a little more insight on Evander, I haven't seen him play. Not very familiar with him. Like you said, he plays at Midtjylland in in uh, Denmark. Before that, he was at Vasco da Gama. Twenty three years old, attacking midfielder. He has played for Brazil, a couple of Brazil's youth national teams, the U seventeen and the U fifteen team. That was. About almost a decade ago, so it's far removed from that almost. But but seems like a player that has interesting, promising points, and that obviously is in the mold of a younger DP that they can not maybe have here for several years, up to ten years even, if they wanted to keep him, or that if he performs well here, well enough over a few seasons, they can later sell on for a pretty good price. So. We'll see how that plays out. Keep an eye on Evander. Steve, the next topic I wanted to touch on quickly with you is the report that came out Tuesday after we recorded the first pod of the week, and it was from The Athletic. A big expose on Inter-Miami's issues and the start of the franchise up until now. We won't touch into every little nook and cranny in there because there was a lot. What did you think of it? What was your biggest takeaway? Anything really surprised you in there? No, not not really. I mean, you know, it painted the picture um, of of the club, you know, and the way they started the franchise was was a mess, and we, we we knew that there was obviously some good detail. The journalist in in question clearly has some decent sources in and around the club. Um, I think we understand, you know, Paul McDonough as well has been close to a couple of the guys from the Athletics, so you can kind of sense where the sort of art, you know the stuff was coming from to a certain degree. Uh, but no, it's very very detailed. I think the most sort of interesting nugget. Uh, nothing too revelatory, but the, the fact that Marcelo Clare, one of the co-owners, was the guy that actually told MLS about the, the potential uh, wrongdoing with the Matuidi signing. You know, I've since under, since learned that we know Marcelo Clare was is leaving now. He's been kind of ostracised from the ownership group. Beckham was close to him a while ago, but he's not close anymore. He's not particularly liked by the other owners. Um, he's described as a bit of an oddball it it, it, it sounds like there's been a, a splintering there <laughs> oh um, come know. on come on well that's a, well no i mean look, I, I don't know this is only what 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 i'm told but anyway there's there's been some they've, they've had a falling out between all of them i think and i think marcelo, marcelo clare is um is will soon be you know leaving that that role which is weird because you know obviously you know we've both both been reporting on this club since its inception in like 2014 and he was he was always there he was there at the start he was he was always sort of front and centre, really, but he's—you don't really see him anymore. Um, so that was—I found that—I found that interesting. And you know, the other thing about you know someone, one of the one of the sources we're talking about—it's just Brand Beckham, uh, that sort of. But it is that that you know, Be- David Beckham brings that 
element to the club and that's why we're sat here talking about it because it, it makes it a great it makes it a great story and it's interesting and it's it's involving one of the most celebrated sportsmen in history i guess um certainly one of the most famous so yeah i mean there is there's always that element of brand beckham that's that comes with part of the the territory but um yeah there was some interesting nuggets in there and it just yeah it, it backs up everything we've said throughout the whole thing and that, you know initially the franchise launch was was a bit of a mess uh, but it also then it kind of once it got to, to today it sounded like it was a bit more of a steady ship and we also learned that phil neville loves taking staff members out for lunch <laughs> i'm surprised in that whole spiel you did not say or mention manchester united's 1992 class of 1992 I was very surprised you didn't do that. I look, I'll say on that on that piece, there were a lot of good notes, a lot of good nuggets. You've touched on a few of them. Claudia being the one that pointed the finger at Inter Miami's wrongdoing initially, and that that led to Jorge Mas then further on or later on revealing other other rules that they broke. Thought that was interesting. I thought obviously the the headline is we built a club, uh, we built a brand, not a club. I thought obviously well, the, actual, the actual quote we we launched a brand not not a team but there you, you know I, so I mean look you said we're here because of David Beckham look I'm here because it's soccer in South Florida professional soccer in South Florida um, I'm not here necessarily because it's a David Beckham team now but it makes it sure it makes, it makes it more interesting, more interesting. absolutely <laughs> absolutely actually his reactions this weekend we can touch on that later we'll touch on that later because his reactions this this I mean not this weekend his, his reactions on Wednesday yeah. and the CBS broadcast caught them. Very, yeah, yeah. very. He's living every moment, very, isn't he? Very interesting. Very interesting. But we'll talk. Devoted, on... devoted. David Beckham. There you go. Passionate. Uh, I, have See? A, I, have passionate. A, I have a different word for that. But we'll. we'll former we'll, England, passionate former England captain. We'll, that, we'll that get point. to that maybe with our final thoughts. We'll get to that with our final thoughts. Look, I also thought there were a couple of other interesting notes in that piece from the Athletic with regards to the approach of last season because you know I had said and I think we've talked about this on the pod that last year in 2020 the expansion season. Initially, Paul McDonough wanted to go for younger players that could have a, a resale value, and that was his. That, that's what he said publicly, out loud, whenever we spoke to him. But then, around the halfway point, something changed, and he said, "Okay, look." We're, they started looking at Cavani, at William, and Luis Suarez. They ended up getting Matuidi and, and Gonzalo Higuain. So something changed along the lines with the vision, the approach, and that piece laid out what happened, and, and it was that. The 0-5 start that Inter Miami suffered led to a change in direction, a, a change in directive to go get veteran players that will help impact right away rather as younger players that might be able to develop and, and have a bigger, a bigger influence with time. So thought that was interesting. And the final thing, which is something we've known about and we've t- touched on here on this podcast, is that Inter-Miami's outlook looks grim for the future because... That they're going to take a significant hit, and there's plenty of people in and around the club or in and around the league that know the situation Inter Miami's in, and that makes their situation that much tougher because things are are going to be very difficult. They're handicapped. They're they've practically got one arm behind their tied behind their back with regards to how they can compete over the next two years. So it, it, things could get tough. Expect Inter Miami to get a lot younger, but I thought that was obviously very notable as well. That the team knows that obviously, but. That you know, it's it's a it's a it's a dark reality that's coming closer and closer. You know, we, we might be a little bit blinded by it because we're seeing games now with this team with this veteran filled team, but the the future is near and it's going to be younger and might be not so bright in the in the not too distant future. Steve, let's let's switch gears to this weekend's 
game. It's against Toronto FC, the last place team in the Eastern Conference. For Inter-Miami, it's another winnable game, a game that they need to win to really continue to push up the Eastern Conference standings. They remain in 12th place, Inter-Miami does, in the East, but they have closed the gap with this weekend win. But now they're eight points shy of a playoff spot, but they have to beat Toronto FC on Saturday in order to, to, to really avoid having a setback. Toronto is 3-11 and 6. They fired their head coach, Chris Armas, earlier in the season, and they, they have Javier Perez as the interim coach. He's going to see them through for the rest of the season. They've given up a whopping 41 goals and scored 24. One of their star players, Josie Altador, just had surgery. He's not available this is a game that Inter-Miami should win. So what do you think Inter-Miami has to do? What is the key to the game for Inter-Miami in this one? Keep going. Keep it, Keep going. Keep that intensity and um, togetherness, I think. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, they, they, they're coming off, coming off a decent win. I think confidence is definitely high for the last five games. He may freshen it up a little bit. But, um, you know, I thought Robbie Robinson did well. He took his goal really well. Um, you know, his little sort of, you know, Indiana Vasilev, I thought, looked... Decent, um, you know. So he's he's you know we get, he's getting a few performances out now. So um, and yeah, this is a side that are, are bereft of confidence. Five games without a win. Last game came you know way twenty fourth of July against Chicago. Um, so they've they've been they've been struggling a lot. So um, you know home game as well. Yeah, just keep keep it going. Yeah, look. So for me, the key to the game for Inter Miami is to be on the front foot, dictate the tempo. Boss that midfield, knock the ball around, create chances for yourself, obviously put them away, but I think just dictating the tempo and being uh, being the aggressor, being the protagonist, I think that's the key to the game. I would say uh, bullet point there is also trying to limit, limit, and not leaving yourself too exposed uh, on the counter or just in general on Jefferson Soteldo, the, the diminutive but very talented Venezuelan international that Toronto FC signed this year. 24 years old, but he is very, very good. I've seen him play with the Venezuelan national team. He's also shown some flashes here in his first few months with Toronto FC. Hasn't really gotten going because obviously the team's not doing well. Uh, that's a part of it, but he's definitely capable of winning a game, returning a game on its head. So, you know, he previously played for for Santos in, in Brazil, a team that was obviously always in the Copa Libertadores, pushing for, for the title. So got to keep an eye on him. Definitely make sure that you keep him under under wraps. That might be the job for Lewis Morgan because Soteldo likes to likes to drift out wide on the left. So definitely an interesting matchup there if, if that's the, the matchup that we see. Steve, any lineup changes? Anything we could see Anything you think we could see differently in the roster or in the starting in the starting group? Not, not really. No, um, I, I, I'm thinking he could he could well keep the keep the same team. Maybe if if Shawcross is is fit again, uh, maybe he would help a little bit aerially. But I think they didn't defend too badly, did they? I guess uh, caught out of position for the for the for the open, for the second goal definitely. But um, no, if anything, could could be a defensive change. But again, he hasn't got too many options there, has he? So Pizarro doesn't come in. Pizarro stays uh, coming off the bench. I think so. Yeah, keep him on the bench. Keep him hungry. That's it's man well, management. Hey, he he said he needs to feel important to to have his confidence high, and you know, keeping him on the bench after him scoring goal, I don't think that's necessarily making him feel all that important. And look, Inter Miami in this last game, we didn't touch on this. Switch to a five-two-one-two. 
before he came on to help uh, wrestle the game, control of the game more in their favor. Another good job from Phil Neville there, pushing the right buttons at the right time, because that did help Inter-Miami. And then when Pizarro came in and replaced Vasilev at the 10, you know, that's when Pizarro was able to, to work some of his magic, and obviously you know he gets he gets the goal. So you know maybe they could go back to the five two one two, but I don't think so. I think I think we're going to see the same starting team as the cliche goes, and as Phil Neville has said, I think at least on one one occasion this season, why change a winning team? So I think this is the group we will see. Pizarro potentially could be someone that comes in, but I don't think so. Another player that could come in maybe is Victor Ulloa for Blaze Matuidi. Matuidi had a turnover that led to a goal this weekend. Ulloa comes in and once again helps create a goal, this time with a direct assist. He's kind of quietly done so in, in three of the last, I don't remember how many games it is now, five or six games, he's had impacts in the in the attacking third. So maybe Ulloa for Matuidi, but I don't think so. I get, like I said earlier, I think this is the, the starting group that Phil Neville will go with when everyone's healthy and available. So I, I would expect the same starting lineup. Steve, prediction time. What does Inter Miami do? Does it cap off the week with another win? Does it get six out of six? As we said, they they, they probably needed to, to cap this week as a successful one, or do they suffer a setback and settle for a draw or a defeat? No, I think they've got to go for the win. They still need the they still need the points for sure. Uh, and they well, to... I mean, we know we know they got to go for the win. Well, do they, they get will. the win? They will. I think they're going to sneak it one nil. One nil. Okay. I will say two to zero, and it will mark the first time in Inter Miami history in franchise history that they win a game by more than a goal. That was a mind-boggling stat that I saw or that I came across yesterday while looking at, at, at stats or at score lines from last year and this year, they have never won a game by more than one goal. Wow. Never. Never. It's, it's, it's wild. It's wild. But I think they do so this weekend. 2-0 victory for Inter-Miami. And why not get a goal off a set-piece to boot? Why not? Why not make it this game to get a goal off of a corner kick? But let's leave it there. We have our Q&A session. Let's take a quick break, and we'll get to that right after this. Okay, Primo, Q&A time. Let's jump right into it. You know the drill. First question comes from Lloyd Hilburn, something that I mentioned earlier on the pod. Can you ask to interview their set-piece coach, he put that in quotation marks, and ask him, WTF is going on? Um, well, like I said before, I actually think that the, you know, the, the idea of asking to interview the set-piece coach would be, a good, would be a good thing to do because you know, even when I've asked Phil Neville what, why they haven't done well at set-pieces, be it attacking set-pieces... Well, not be it, because I've only asked him about attacking set pieces. But when I've asked him about that, he's never really answered why they're not doing well. He doesn't really say why. He just says, we're working on it. We're trying to get we're trying to get better. We are getting better. But never really says why they're not doing a good job. He has said, you know, need to attack the ball more, etc., etc. He wants to see three, five goals from his center backs, from each of his center backs. But, again, hasn't said why they're not doing a good enough job at that. So, you know, maybe the request could be a, could be a good one, but, you know... Obviously, I get the sentiment that there's there's frustration there because not only are they having issues with attacking set pieces, now as of late, they've had problems with defensive set pieces. 
Yep, and they need they need to improve. It's not an exact science, is it? I guess they they work on it. They will work it on the training ground, but for one reason or another, it just um, yeah, they're still having problems there. Yeah, but they have a set piece specialist on the roster or on the on the technical staff this year. Someone with the designated title set piece specialist, and it's not it's not looking at all uh, very special. So the next question comes from Lucho Lalo, eighteen ninety six. Franco, one down, two to go for the must win games. What do we need to do to get a dub against Toronto FC? Everyone has to show up Saturday, pack that stadium. Let's get three more points. Joker is back. We'll just get him back to his old self. Get those Rosa y Negra nets in goal ready. Yeah, he's referring to his question from, from the recent pod where I said that was a good idea for them to do some black and pink nets in goals, uh, in the two goals at Drakman Stadium. Uh, what does Inter Miami need to do to, to win against Toronto FC? It's what we said in the last segment, and that's just continue to build on what they've been doing. And I think dictating the tempo even more so against Toronto FC will be key while also being very mindful, very mindful of Jefferson Sotelo. Because if there's one player that can beat you, it's Jefferson Sotelo on that roster. So got to be wary of him. Well, yeah, exactly. What we what we talked about before, be on, be on the front foot. I think attack, I, I think they, they look more potent going forward for sure. Um, and they've been carving teams open better. You know, they, they, that, the goal that Robinson scored, we don't necessarily see sort of good... Sort of team goals like that, do we? They always it's always a little bit scrappy sometimes. So um, yeah, maybe maybe offensively they they're sort of getting into their to their groove a bit. Yeah, and Toronto FC did play during the midweek game, so they'll be traveling again. They played against Atlanta United in Atlanta, and they lost one to zero. So Toronto FC is coming off of a loss into this Saturday's match. Next question comes from Dos Knows. Great win. Any insight on what's going on with Marcelo Claude and the rest of the ownership group? Rumor is he was the whistleblower on his own team. Please tell me we're not adding another act to the circus. So something else we touched on earlier in the pod and it looks like, you know, he was the one to point the finger. Now, you know, I think I told you this, Steve, when we talked about it on Tuesday over the phone. I'm curious what led to that decision from him. If he found out and said something right away, I'm curious to all to all of these factors, but I don't know if we'll ever get the answers from him directly. I don't know if we'll ever get to speak to him because he hasn't been around in the public eye, at least in South Florida, for quite a while. No, hasn't been seen. Like, as we said, there's clearly been a big fallout behind the scenes um, for whatever reason, and he's sort of kind of been ostracised. Um, he's still, he's still. I think he has places, you know, in different countries, but he's, he has been in the US recently. Um, but and also there was the stories saying that the Masas- Masayoshi son, the uh, the Japanese billionaire who's also on the ownership group, was also looking to to maybe sever his ties with the club. But I couldn't manage to get much too much more on that. But um, yeah, I mean, look, they've, they've had that, as that piece stated, and as we've been saying the whole time, there's been problems on the pitch and there's been problems off the pitch as well, and that's just symptomatic of the problems they faced, you know, in in, in the front in the front front office. Next question comes from Endo. Why doesn't the whole team applaud the rest of the fans in the stadium? I feel like La Familia only gets the recognition after the game. They should walk the whole stadium and thank everyone for their support. They have a couple times, but they haven't done it every game. But I'll let you start there. Yeah, I, no, I don't know. Um, I'm sure they are very appreciative of all the fans. Um, but yeah, maybe they're just subconsciously not realizing they're doing. I'm sure they're clapping and and you know appreciating all the support they get because the support they have been getting has been great, especially even last night for a team that's not been doing that well. Um, you know, was, the crowd was lower, wasn't it, um, on Wednesday and Wednesday night, but still like a good atmosphere. 13,000, I believe it was. I, I will say, look, I don't know why. I think, I think I'll, I'll but I'll estimate or guess here 
And I think part of the reason is because La Familia has been the one that's been vocal about, you know, traveling to away games or not getting recognized there or at home games on certain occasions. So I think they definitely focus more on La Familia because La Familia has been critical of of not getting those post-game gestures. If the rest of the fans were also as critical, I think you would also see you would also see them change that and also acknowledge all four four stands in the stadium. So this is a start. This is a start. You being critical and bringing it up is a talking point because it is it is something that is true. They do mostly only nod to the La Familia at, at home games. Next question, or it's a couple of questions from Gay P. It's two tweets, so it's quite a bit in here. The back three has solidified. Morgan and Gibbs as wingbacks. Would you keep that for every game? McCoon has improved a lot this year. I think he looks promising for next year to be untouchable. Who will you sell from a starting 11 to pay for the sanctions? I think LGP has to be one and not renewing some of the players that we have. Nico cost us more than a million, so a trade wouldn't work right. Only a sell-on would work for him. Would you bring Vasilev back next year or maybe use Curry? Let's play general manager as the theme of an episode. We can do that at the end of the season or we can just, you know, before the, the, the winter transfer window opens and before the options are declined or accepted. We'll definitely do that. I think we did that last year. But as for now, you know, it'd be too much to touch on here. So... I will answer the part where, you know, I'll touch on McCoon because we didn't touch on McCoon in the opening segment, and I think he had a very good game. He's one of my top three performers. I gave him, Iguain and Gonzalez Pires all equal ratings of 7.5, the highest of anybody from Inter-Miami in my player ratings piece after this game. He's been very quietly but very reliably been very good for Inter-Miami as the third center back, as the left center back in that five-man back line. Looks more comfortable on the ball. Still not, doesn't exude a whole lot of confidence, but better on the ball now. And defending, his defensive work has been pretty, pretty notable. That's why he's kind of flying under the radar, because he's not making mistakes. Might not be making incredible plays that turn heads, but but he has been quietly and effectively doing his job. He, he would speak to the press tomorrow, Friday, ahead of the Toronto FC game, so... You know, we'll, we'll probably ask him about about that, and probably ask him about facing his his Venezuelan compatriot Jefferson Soteldo. Steve, anything anything there from Gabe P that you wanted to touch on? Any and any anything in specific? Would you bring Vasilev back next year, maybe? Yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. There's going to be changes. Definitely, I think Vasilev has already shown enough in a few games to, to prove that he's he's worth it. There's going to be there's going to be changes for sure. They have to balance. They have to balance the books. That was. That was the urge. They needed to get rid of Gonzalez Perez or Carranza or some of those guys. They, they had to, didn't they? So um, I think once the season, obviously the transfer window shut now, but once the season finishes and they can start trading again, then um, I, I, yeah, there's, there's, there has to be, there's going to be changes and it needs to be, doesn't it? You need to keep freshening it up and not clear out. I wouldn't say it was dead wood, but you know, a couple of them, like someone like Carranza is probably, yeah, he's had his chances and hasn't really worked for him. So maybe a move would, help so and then we'll see what happens with Pizarro and or Matuidi the, the thing with Vasilev is he's on a loan now so you know to get him back next year I don't you know they would have to buy out his contract right have, um, they would probably I'm not have, sure his contract I mean he probably hasn't got a future at Aston Villa has he so right but they uh, would probably have to buy out his contract or you know maybe Aston Villa would have to be like all right well we'll just give him to you for free and rip up his contract because, because otherwise a transfer fee would be required most likely and I don't know if Inter Miami can afford that given their their situation right now because he's obviously not going to be a DP player. Next question and the final question comes from CJ. Would you stick with this lineup tactic going forward regardless of opponent or would you continue to tailor each lineup to the opposition? 
I'll start there, Steve. Look, would I stick with it? I mean, I I think so. Even though I, you know, I, I like a more attacking brand of of football. But I think if we're just talking with the realistic scenario of this team and how it's played and strengths and weaknesses, I think I would stick with this lineup. Uh, and I do think that's what Phil Neville is going to do. I also think Phil Neville is going to stick with the group that we saw this weekend. I've said that a few times on this pod, so I also expect Phil Neville to do that. Although I do agree, or I do think that Phil Neville, on occasion, will change the lineup and or the formation based on the opponent, given what their strengths are, like we saw against New York City FC, where he slightly tweaked it. Slightly. So I think because Inter Miami is more of a reactive team, not necessarily a proactive team, I think there will be some changes on occasion throughout the rest of the way, but I think this this lineup with this starting group is what you'll see, uh, or this formation with this starting group is what you'll see for much of the rest of the way. Yeah, I just with any just with you know with he he does sort of spring surprise. I mean, you know, Lewis Morgan at right back or wing back was was a surprise for sure, uh, but it's worth keeping an eye on, on just on Lewis Morgan how he he rea- reacts to keep on having to play in this position. He is an attacking player. And, um, you know, if he, he may not enjoy playing it right back. We don't know yet. We haven't been able to ask him. But, um, yeah, it's worth just keeping an eye on that, that situation. I don't think in the long run that's really where he would see himself playing. Even though he's a team man and, you know, do everything for the team, et cetera, et cetera, I don't think that's where he would see his, his future. So that would could be another interesting conundrum. I think I think it's just a temporary solution for this season. I think next year, you know, if, if he's still around, which I would expect him to be, that he'll he'll go back to the right wing spot or, or the left wing spot. I, I think this is just a, a, a stopgap solution for what the team has to offer in 2021. Steve, that does it for the Q and A session. Let's do our final thoughts. I actually have let's do two because I have a question for you, and then I want to touch on the the Beckham topic we touched on earlier. So we didn't touch on this on Wednesday. We should have because it was our midseason review. But quickly, just quickly, who was your pick for best Inter Miami player during the first 17 games of the season, the first half of the year? Oh, I mean, uh, it's a difficult one. No one is. It's not really... that difficult. It's not that difficult. There's only. Well, I think there's only one answer. You've got it. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, Rodolfo Pizarro has been <laughs> the Ryan Shawcross. No. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Iguain has been the most influential, hasn't he? And um, I don't. He hasn't. If I'm sure, if you trawl back through the first 17 games, there are a lot of games where he didn't really produce. Remember, then he was dropped. But you know, I just think he's he's come to the fore. He's listened to the podcast. He heard that we demanded the DPs play better. And right, just like that, with the arrival of his baby and his, and his and his girlfriend, all of a sudden he picks up and they start winning again. So there you go. Maybe it's the seltzer I drank while recording this pod, but I quickly thought of putting in the, the buzzer sound when you said Gonzalo Higuain. I thought about doing that right in the moment. I thought about doing it post-production when I, when I put this together afterwards because that is not the right answer, my friend. And listen, oh. I'm, I'm open to opinions and I'm open to everything, but I just don't think that it's anywhere close for anybody this season. I think the best player over the course of the 17 games, the first 17 games, was Gregory but far and away. Not only did he win the captain's armband after coming in just a few months ago, but he's just been the most consistent player for me, for, for Inter-Miami out there. You know, Gonzalo Higuain has put up numbers, but like you mentioned and like we know, he's had some very bad games as well and his attitude hasn't been great. So for me, I think Gregory is really the only true option in that. But I respect your opinion, Steve. So if you think it's Gonzalo Higuain, then we'll just let you be wrong all by yourself over there. Why not? Uh, <laughs> First time for everything. Uh, 
And quickly, the, 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 second, the second topic is David Beckham, his reactions. What did you make of them? What did you make of them? Because, look, I, I know you touched on it earlier. I didn't give my thoughts. I thought his reactions to Gonzalo Higuain's misses, one in the first half and then one late in the second half, I don't know if they see eye to eye. I don't know if they see eye to eye or if he sees eye to eye with him because he was angry, my man. He no, was angry. You're oh, so see, neg- no. you're so negative. Okay, like, uh, so okay, all right. Let watch watch the game back and watch those two plays. Watch hey, watch just, how he reacts. Watch how he reacts. That doesn't signify fallout with Iguain. Okay, it? and when Gonzalo Iguain comes off, uh, when Gonzalo Iguain comes off the bench, he didn't look at him. I know. I did actually see whether uh-huh. or not. He yeah, oh, I so know, you noticed that. that. Oh he doesn't even look at him. He doesn't even look at him. Right, Sherlock Holmes here. If anyone knows who Sherlock Holmes is, Google it, and then that is Franco. I think right everybody. Now, yeah. I think everybody knows who Sherlock Holmes is. Right. My friend. <laughs> listen, wait, look. It's no, all, listen, the devil's I, I, in the details. The devil's in the details. Remember, remember when Phil Neville. Expressed some irritation towards towards uh, Rodolfo Pizarro back in week three when he missed the shot against against Nashville SC. Yeah. Or was yeah, it Nashville? No, then... actually, back in week five, I don't I don't remember exactly what week it was. It was against FC Cincinnati, not Nashville SC. He he missed the shot against FC Cincinnati, and the cameras panned to him, and he was snarling, and we talked about it. I I saw that same type of anger and fire in David Beckham this week this week midweek game. When Gonzalo Guayan missed the two shots, he was angry, angry. You, they show, and the funny part is that they show Phil Neville before the second miss. They showed his reaction and the staff's reaction, and they kind of just in frustration, not angry, just in frustration, like, oh, I can't believe it, disbelief, um, you know, just, just wishing, no. distraught, wishing the ball had gone in. But David Beckham is cursing. He drops an f bomb. Like, he is, he is. Furious, yeah. furious. Well, it was tight. It was tight. It was te- it was tense, wasn't it? It didn't really look up when the score was two. It didn't really look like they were going to score the winner. And I mean, it's the first time we've actually seen Beckham like properly showing some, or we've seen it on the on the. No, TV I've screen. seen him celebrate in other moments. In other yeah, moments, they focused on but... him and they celebrate. They show him celebrate on the goals, and I've never seen him look. David Beckham is as cool and calm as James Bond, by and large. And I thought it was very telling that he kind of got away from that in, the, yeah, in those moments. Now is the perfect segue for me to say in the class of 92, uh, <laughs> actually, and it's funny, actually, because actually Phil Neville put on his Instagram earlier today, it is 25 years ago since uh, a very young Man United team lost at Aston Villa. And Alan Hansen, who was a, was, a, was a former Liverpool player who turned pundit, said on Match of the Day, like the highlights show that evening, that Alex Ferguson will never win anything with kids. And that was when Beckham... Phil Neville, Gary Neville, Skulls all made their debuts. Or I didn't make their debuts, but that was just, you know their, their breakthrough sort of year, whatever. And they went on to win the treble. So and Champions League, FA Cup, multiple Premier Leagues, all with those players playing prominent parts. So I, um, I don't know what that has to do with David Beckham not looking at Gonzalo. Oh, it goes how to go. David Beckham is that they they came from that mentality and that kind of club ethos where they want to win. They want to win. That that that's it. And, and Beckham has not liked the fact that they haven't been doing well. Just like Phil Neville and. Everyone else hasn't either. So you showed, you saw his raw emotion on the sideline, which we no, have. Man. See, look, there's different, there's different reactions. It's great. It makes for it makes for great TV. It makes for great, you know, talking points. But look, like I said on the Big O show today with Orlando Alzagari, shout out to the Big O who had me on today. We both we both agreed. Would not be surprised if CBS got a call today or in the coming days from Beckham's brand or Beckham's team, being like, hey. You can't do that. We, you can't. No be, you can't, way. You can't, oh, no way. I get it. Okay. Nonsense. I, no, that's not no. nonsense. That's, you, David Beckham showing 
him losing his cool does not fit with his, his losing brand. His cool. You, we watched it completely. <laughs> we watched wow. it a completely different wow. way then. Okay, I, yeah. We, we, I we, saw... Let's sit down together and watch it because he drops an F-bomb on the second one. And then so the... what? He's, it's his club. He wants him to win. I mean, what do you what do you want from him? Just to watch it and like do the knitting or something? I mean, you know, he's like, he's getting into it. I think I thought it was great. That I watched it and thought, yeah, I mean, he's Phil he's Neville is cool. distraught at the miss at the at the who's the head coach. Phil Neville is distraught at the miss, and so is the coaching staff. They put their hands over their heads. Oh, they okay. can't believe it. David Beckham says the f word, throws his hands in a fit of rage, and turns around facing towards the and walks towards the the press boxes. That's how upset he was. Normally, again, normally the reactions are of. Distra- being distraught or in disbelief, the anger, anger. I don't know. To me, that reads a little bit more, a little no bit more. Way. But what... you, mate, you are this. You are making a mountain out of a molehill. I mean, oh, it was a really tense match. You want to win, and, and the, the guy wants a shock. Owner wants club to win. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not a shock, is it? Really? Anyway, you're wrong. I'm right. Sure, sure. That, although you said you noticed that he didn't look at him when he came off the bench. Uh, we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. Just a, a good talking point there. Maybe I'll get a call from, uh, from, from Beckham's team as well after that. Um, but we'll leave it there. And we'll come back early next week to review the game against Toronto FC. We'll see if Inter-Miami can keep it going. Please don't forget to give us a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on all our social media channels. For Steven Primo Brenner, I am Franco Penizo. This is Miami Total Football Radio. And we'll talk to you guys again very soon.